Excerpt from Illustrated Catalogue of a Portion of the Ethnologic and Archaeologic Collections Made by the Bureau of Ethnology During the Year 1881. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Illustrated Catalogue of a Portion of the Ethnologic and Archaeologic Collections Made by the Bureau of Ethnology During the Year 1881 by William H. Holmes. Collection made by Edward Palmer in North Carolina, Tennessee, and Arkansas. Introductory. Mr. Palmer began his explorations early in July, 1881, and continued with marked success until the end of the year. He first paid a visit to the Cherokee Indians of North Carolina and collected a large number of articles manufactured or used by this people, besides a number of antiquities from the same region. From Carolina he crossed into Tennessee and began work by opening a number of mounds in Cock County. In September he opened a very important mound, which I have named the McMahon Mound. It is located in the vicinity of Sevierville, Sevier County. Afterwards, mounds were opened on Fanes Island, at Dandridge, and at Kingston. In September, he crossed into Arkansas and made extensive explorations at Osceola, Pecan Point, Arkansas Post, and Indian Bay. It is devolved upon the writer to examine and catalog this fine collection. In preparing the catalog, the plan of arrangement already adopted by the Bureau has been carried out that is, a primary classification by locality and a secondary by material. The descriptions of specimens are taken from the card catalog prepared by the writer on first opening the collection and will be given in full, excepting in cases where detailed descriptions have been furnished in separate papers, either in this or the preceding annual report. Cuts have been made of a number of the more interesting specimens. The localities are named in the order of their exploration. Collections from Jackson County, North Carolina, obtained chiefly from the Cherokee Indians. Articles of Stone 62953 A small disc of dark gray slate, one and a quarter inches in diameter and one and one half inches in thickness. The form is symmetrical and the surface well polished. The sides are convex, slightly so near the center and abruptly so near the circumference. The rim or peripheral surface is squared by grinding, the circular form being accurately preserved. This specimen was obtained from an aged Cherokee, who stated that it had formerly been used by his people in playing some sort of game. It seems not improbable that this stone has been used for polishing pottery. 62952. A small subglobular pebble used as a polishing stone for pottery. 62954 a polishing stone similar to the above. This implement was seen in use by the collector. 62947, a hemispherical stone probably used as a nutcracker. 62944, a stone implement somewhat resembling a thick round pointed pick, four and a half inches in length and one inch in diameter. It is perforated exactly as an iron pick would be for the insertion of a handle. The perforation has been produced by boring from opposite sides. At the surface, it is five-eighths of an inch in diameter, and midway about three-eighths. The material seems to be an indurated clay or soft slate. The collector suggests that this specimen was probably used for smoothing bowstrings or straightening arrow shafts. 62949, eight arrow points of gray and blackish chalcedony. 62950, 
pipe of gray indurated steatite of modern Cherokee manufacture. 62951, pipe of dark green stone, highly polished. It is well modeled, but of a recent type. 62888, grooved axe of compact greenish sandstone, found near Bakersville, North Carolina. Articles of clay, obtained from the southern band of Cherokees, Jackson County, North Carolina. The manufacture of pottery, once so universally practiced by the Atlantic Coast Indians, is still kept up by this tribe, rather, however, for the purpose of trade than for use in their domestic arts. The vessels are, to a great extent, modeled after the wear of the whites, but the methods of manufacture seem to be almost wholly aboriginal. 63070. A handled mug or cup of brownish ware. The form is not aboriginal. It is composed of clay, tempered, apparently, with pulverized shell. The surface has a slight polish produced by a polishing implement. The height is four and a half inches, and the width nearly the same. 63068. Large, flat-bottomed bowl, six inches in height, eleven inches in diameter at the top, and eight at the base. Although made without a wheel, this vessel is quite symmetrical. The thickness is from one-fourth to one-half of an inch. The material has been a dark clay paste with tempering of powdered mica. 63066. A three-legged pot with spherical body, resembling very closely in appearance the common iron cooking pot of the whites. The rim is six inches in diameter and one inch high. The body is nine inches in diameter. Two handles are attached to the upper part of the body. The form is symmetrical and the surface highly polished. The polishing stone has been used with so much skill that the effect of a glaze is well produced. The materials used were clay and pulverized mica. The color is dark brown. 63067. A strong, rudely made vessel shaped like a half cask. The walls are about one half an inch in thickness. The surface is rough, the polishing stone having been very carelessly applied. 63068. A flat-bottomed bowl, symmetrical in shape, but rudely finished. Vegetal Substances 63063. Basket sieve, said to be used to separate the finer from the coarser particles of pounded corn. The coarse meal thus obtained is boiled and allowed to ferment. This is used as food and is called kanohana. The sieve is made of split cane carefully smoothed. Some of the strips are dyed red and others brown. A simple ornamental design is worked in these colors. The opening is square with rounded corners, the sides measuring 14 inches. The depth is 5 inches. The bottom is flat and loosely woven. 63072. A bottle-shaped basket with constricted neck and rectangular body, used by the Cherokees for carrying fish. Height 11 inches, width of mouth 4 inches, diameter of body 6 inches. It is made of strips of white oak or hickory, one-fourth of an inch in thickness. 63073. Basket made of strips of white oak intended for the storage of seeds and for other household uses. The rim is about 5 inches in diameter. The body is 8 inches in diameter. The base being rectangular and flat. 63074. Basket made of cane used for storing seed. 63076. Two baskets made of cane probably used for household purposes. They are neatly ornamented with simple designs produced by the use of colored strips. The rims are oval in shape and the base is rectangular. The larger will hold about half a bushel, the smaller about a gallon. 
63077. Small basket with a handle made of splints of white oak. Yellow strips of hickory bark are used to ornament the rim. Other colors are obtained by using bark of different trees, maple, walnut, etc. 63078. Small cup or dish carved from laurel or cucumber wood. It is very neatly made. The depth is about 1 inch, the width 5 inches. 63064. Large spoon carved from laurel or cucumber wood, used by the Cherokees in handling the Kanahuana or fermented meal. The carving is neatly done. The heart-shaped bowl is 6 inches in length, 4 in width, and about 2 in depth. The handle is 12 inches long and is embellished at the end by a knob and ring. The knob is carved to represent a turtle's or snake's head. 63065. A smaller spoon similar in shape to the above. 63087. A large five-pronged fork carved from the wood of the Magnolia Glauca. It resembles the iron forks of the whites. 63088. A small three-pronged fork of the same pattern and material as the above. 63080. A wooden comb made in imitation of the shell combs used by white ladies for supporting and ornamenting the back hair. The carving is said to have been done with a knife. Considerable skill is shown in the ornamental design at the top. The wood is maple or beech. 63089. A walnut paddle or club used to beat clothes in washing. 63059. Bow of locust wood, five feet long, one half an inch thick, and one and a half inches wide in the middle, tapering at the ends to one inch. The back of the bow is undressed, the bark simply having been removed. The string, which resembles ordinary twine, is said to be made of wild hemp. The arrows are 40 inches in length. The shafts are made of hickory wood and have conical points. Stone and metal points are not used, as the country abounds in small game only, and heavy points are considered unnecessary. In trimming the arrow, two feathers of the wild turkey are used. These are close-clipped and fastened with sinew. 63057. Blowgun used by the Cherokees to kill small game. This specimen is seven feet in length and is made of a large cane, probably the Arundinaria macrosperma. The guns are made from five to 15 feet in length, the diameter in large specimens reaching one and a half inches. 63058. Arrows used with the blowgun. The shafts, which are made of hickory wood, are two feet in length and very slender. The shooting end has a conical point. The feather end is dressed with thistle down, tied on in overlapping layers with thread or sinew. The tip of down completely fills the barrel of the gun, and the arrow, when inserted in the larger end and blown with a strong puff, has a remarkable carrying and penetrating power. 63085. Thistle heads probably from the Nicus lanceolatus, from which the down is obtained in preparing the arrows of the blowgun. 63061. Ball sticks or rackets made of hickory wood. Rods of this tough wood, about seven feet long, are dressed to the proper shape, the ends having a semicircular section, the middle part being flat. Each is bent and the ends united to form a handle, leaving a pear-shaped loop six inches in width by about 12 inches in length, which is filled with a network of leather or bark strings sufficiently close to hold the ball. 63061. Ball, one and a half inches in diameter, covered with buckskin, used with the rackets in playing the celebrated ball game of the Cherokee, Choctaw, Creek, and Seminole Indians. Animal Substances. 63071. Shell, probably a unio, 
used by potters to scrape the surface of clay vessels, seen in use. 63081. Comb made of horn. The teeth are two inches in length and have been made with a saw. It is used in dressing the hair. 63085. Charm made of feathers and snake rattles, worn on the head or on some part of the costume. 63082. All of iron set in a handle of deer's horn. Collections from Cock County, Tennessee. From fields near Newport. Articles of stone. 62752. Grooved axe, 8 inches in length, 3.5 in width, and about 1 inch in thickness. One side is quite flat, the other convex. The material is a banded schistose slate. 62758. A fine specimen of grooved axe, 7 inches in length, 4 in width, and 1.5 in thickness. The groove is wide and shallow and is bordered by two narrow ridges, which are in sharp relief all the way around. The material appears to be a greenish-gray diorite. 62759. A grooved axe, 6 inches long, 3.5 inches wide, and 1 inch thick. This specimen is similar to the preceding, the groove being deeper on the lateral edges of the implement and the upper end less prominent. It is made of a fine-grained gray sandstone. 62753. Fragment of a grooved axe of gray slate. The groove is shallow and irregular. 62754. Celt of compact gray sandstone, somewhat chipped at the ends. It is 6.5 inches in length by 2.5 in width and 1.5 in thickness. One face is flat, the other convex. The sides are nearly parallel. A transverse section would be subrectangular. 62755. Fragment of celt, 3 inches in length by 2 in width and about 1.5 in thickness. The material is a fine-grained sandstone or a diorite. 62756. A long, slender celt, very carefully finished, 7 inches in length, 2 in width, and less than 1 in thickness. The material is a very compact gray slate. It has apparently been recently used as a scythe stone by some harvester. 62757. Fragment of a small, narrow celt, both ends of which are lost. Material, gray diorite. 62760. Heavy celt of gray diorite, 8 inches in length by 3 in width and 2 and a half in thickness. 62762. A pestle of gray diorite with enlarged base and tapering top, 5 and a half inches in length and 3 inches in diameter at the base. 62751. A pestle of banded schistose slate. 15 inches in length and 2.5 inches in diameter in the middle, tapering symmetrically towards the ends, which terminate in rounded points. 62763. A ceremonial stone resembling somewhat a small, broad-bladed pick, the outline being nearly semicircular. It is pierced as a pick is pierced for the insertion of a handle. It is 2.5 inches in length, 1.5 in width, and 3 fourths of an inch in thickness. The material is a soft, greenish mottled serpentine, or serpentinoid limestone. 62761. A pierced tablet of gray slate, 4.5 inches long, 1.5 inches wide, and half an inch thick. The two perforations are 2.5 inches apart. They have been bored from opposite sides and show no evidence of use. Nine notches have been cut in one end of the tablet. It has been much injured by recent use as a whetstone. 62764. 
Cupstone, of rough sandstone, having 17 shallow cup-like depressions from 1 to 2 inches in diameter. The stone is of irregular outline, about 10 inches in diameter and 4 in thickness. 62765. A large pipe of gray steatite. The bowl is square and about 3 inches in length by 1 in diameter. The stem end is 4 inches in length and 3 fourths of an inch in diameter. The bowl has a deep conical excavation. The same is true of the stem end also. Mound at the junction of the Pigeon and French Broad Rivers. Articles of Clay. 62870. The mound from which these fragments were obtained was located three miles from Newport. It was 12 feet square and 6 feet high. The original height was probably much greater. The pottery was mixed with ashes and debris of what appeared to be three fireplaces. No human remains were found. The fragments were not numerous, nor do they indicate a great variety in form. There is, however, considerable variety in decoration. Material. The clay is generally gray or dark reddish gray in the mass, and is apparently quite siliceous or sandy, numerous grains of quartz being visible. There is generally a sprinkling of finely powdered mica, but no shell matter can be detected. When much weathered, the surface is quite gritty. Form. The leading form is a round-bodied, pot-shaped vase. There is one small hemispherical bowl. The outlines have been quite symmetrical. The mouths of the pots are wide, and the necks deeply constricted. The lip or rim exhibits a number of novel features. That of the larger specimen, of which a considerable segment remains, is furnished on the upper edge with a deep channel nearly one-half an inch wide and more than one-fourth of an inch deep. Others have a peculiar thickening of the rim, a sort of collar being added to the outside. This is about one inch in width and is thicker below, giving a triangular section. The walls of the vessel are usually quite thin. The bottoms were probably round or nearly so. No fragments, however, of the lower parts of the vessels were collected. There is but one example of the handle, and this presents no unusual features. Ornamentation. The ornamentation is in some respects novel. The double or channeled rim of the larger specimen, the mouth of which has been 13 or 14 inches in diameter, is embellished with a line of flutings, which seem to be the impressions of a hollow bone or reed. The whole exterior surface is embellished with a most elaborate ornamental design, which resembles the imprint of some woven fabric. If a woven fabric has not been used, a pliable stamp, producing the effect of a fabric, has been resorted to. The fact that the sharply concave portions of the neck are marked with as much regularity as the convex body of the vessel precludes the idea of the use of a solid or non-elastic stamp. The pattern consists of groups of parallel indented lines arranged at right angles with one another, the puzzling feature being that there is no evidence of the passing of the threads or fillets over or under each other, such as would be seen if a woven fabric had been used. The outer surface of the triangular collar peculiar to many of the pots has been decorated with a herringbone pattern made by impressing a sharp implement. The handle in one case is similarly ornamented. This handle has been added after the figure previously described was impressed upon the neck of the vessel. One small fragment shows another style of indented or stamped pattern, which consists of series of straight and curved lines such as are characteristic of many of the vessels obtained from the Gulf states. A small fragment of coal-black ware is entirely smooth on the outside, and indicates an unusually well-finished and symmetrical vessel. 
Another shows the impression of basket work, in which a wide fillet or splint has served as the warp and a small twisted cord as the woof. One interesting feature of this vessel is that from certain impressions on the raised edges, we discover that the vessel has been taken from the net mold while still in a plastic state. Still another red porous fragment has a square rim, which is ornamented with a series of annular indentations. Collections from Sevier County, Tennessee. The McMahon Mound. On the west fork of the Little Pigeon River at Sevierville, on a rich bottom 125 yards from the river, is a celebrated mound, the owners of which have for years refused to have it open. Mr. Palmer spent several days in trying to obtain permission to open it, and was about leaving in despair when the owners finally yielded, not, however, without requiring a number of concessions on the part of the collector, which concessions were put in the form of a legal document. This mound is 16 feet high and 240 feet in circumference. Three feet below the surface, a stratum of burnt clay, 15 feet wide by 30 long, was reached. This has probably formed part of the roof of a dwelling. Beneath this was a bed of charcoal, four inches thick. In this bed, remnants of cedar posts from two to four inches thick and one to two feet in length were found. Below this was a stratum of ashes, covering a limited area to the depth of four feet. Surrounding this, the earth contained fragments of numerous articles used by the inhabitants, while beneath came four and a half feet of earth in which numerous skeletons had been deposited. The bodies had been interred without order, and the bones were so intermingled and so far decayed that no complete skeletons could be collected. Beneath the layer of bones came a second deposit of ashes, two feet thick by two and a half feet in diameter, and beneath this a mass of red clay, 18 inches in thickness. In the earth surrounding the ashes and clay, a number of skeletons were found. These were in such an advanced stage of decomposition that only a few fragments of skulls could be preserved. Three feet below the second layer of bones, the undisturbed soil was reached. Two boxes of bones were collected, the well-preserved crania numbering about 20. A great many interesting specimens of the implements, utensils, and ornaments of the mound builders were obtained. The following catalog includes everything of interest. Articles of Stone 62787, 62792, 62778, 62769, 62784, 62788. Numerous specimens of arrow points, flakes, cores, and rough masses of gray and black chalcedony, obtained partly from the mound and partly from the soil surrounding it. 62793, a somewhat conical object of black compact graphite. The flattish base is rubbed off in an irregular way, as if in grinding down for use as a pigment. 62790, fragment of hammerstone of gray micaceous sandstone five inches long by three inches in diameter. It was found associated with the upper layer of skeletons. 62808. Pipe carved from gray marble. The bowl is symmetrically shaped and resembles a common clay pipe. It is about one and a half inches in height and one in diameter. The stem part is about one-fourth of an inch in length, found with the upper layer of skeletons. 62786. A perforated stone tube, one and one quarter inches long and three-fourths of an inch in diameter. It is probably the upper part of a pipe bowl. 62794. A large number of minute quartz pebbles, probably used in a rattle or in playing some game of chance. 
found with the skeletons in the mound. 62798. Three glass beads found four feet below the surface of the mound. One is a bright blue bead of translucent glass. One is opaque, resembling porcelain. The third is of blue-gray glass and has three longitudinal stripes of brown underlaid by bands of white. All are cylindrical in shape and are from three-eighths to half an inch in length and about one-fourth of an inch in diameter. Articles of Clay The collection of pottery from this mound is of much interest. There is but one entire vessel, but the fragments are so plentiful and well-preserved that many interesting forms can be restored, and a very good idea of the ceramic work of this locality be formed. I have spent much time in the examination of these fragments, and have assigned each to the form of vessel to which it belonged. Where large pieces are preserved, especially if the rim is included, we have little trouble in reconstructing the entire vessel, without fear of being seriously wrong. The lower parts of the bodies of all forms are round or slightly flattened, and but a small fragment of the rim is needed to tell whether the vessel was a bottle, pot, or bowl. I find, however, that the forms merge into each other in such a way that a complete graduated series can be found. Of first importance are the round or globular vases with more or less constricted necks. Ornamentation. The inside of all forms is plain, with the exception of accidental markings of the fingers. The rim is square, sharp, or round on the edge, and sometimes slightly enlarged or beaded on the outer margin. A collar is attached to many forms, which at the lower edge overhangs. It is added to the body with the rim, or is a strip afterward attached. It is often notched or indented with a stick, bone, or reed, or with the fingers. The necks of vases and pot-shaped vessels have a great variety of handles, knobs, and ornaments. Some of the latter seem to be atrophied handles. In some cases, a low, horizontal ridge, from one to four or more inches in length, is placed near the rim in place of the continuous collar. In other cases, a narrow crescent-shaped ridge is attached, the points reaching down on the shoulder, the arch lying upon the neck. Still others have one or more handles which connect the rim with the neck or shoulder of the vessel, leaving a round or oblong passage for a cord or vine. These handles were added after the vessel was completed. They are never ornamented. In one case, an arched handle, like the handle of a basket, connects the opposite sides of the rim. This is the only entire vessel recovered from the mound. It was associated with the upper layers of skeletons. Diameter, four and a half inches. The body of these vessels is sometimes quite plain, but is more frequently covered by cord markings. These, with one or two exceptions, seem to be made by a series of fine cords approximately parallel, but without cross-threads of any kind. There is little uniformity of arrangement. In the upper part, and about the base of the neck, the intended lines are generally vertical. On the bottom, they are quite irregular, as if the vessel in making had been rolled about on a piece of netting or coarse cloth. The cords have been about the size of the ordinary cotton cord used by merchants. One exception is seen in a fragment of a large, rudely made vase, in which we have the impression of a fabric, the warp of which, whether wood or cord, has consisted of fillets more than one-fourth of an inch in width, the wolf being fine cord. This is what is frequently spoken of as the ear of corn impression. No incised or excavated lines have been noticed in these fragments of pot-shaped vessels. Some of the most elegant vessels are without upright necks. The upper or incurved surface of the body is approximately flat, forming with the lower part of the body a more or less sharp peripheral angle. 
the base is rounded, and so far as we can judge from the examples, the bottom is slightly flattened. Vessels having vertical or flaring rims are generally somewhat more shallow. The incurved upper surface is often tastefully ornamented with patterns of incised or excavated lines, which are arranged in groups in vertical or oblique positions, or encircle the vessel parallel with the border. One specimen has a row of stamped circles made by a reed or hollow bone. Bowls of the ordinary shape are variously decorated. In one case we have on the outside of the rim, and projecting slightly above it, a rudely modeled grotesque face. A notched fillet passes around the rim near the lip, connecting with the sides of this head. In another case, a rude node is added to the rim. The only bowl having a flaring rim is without ornament. We have only one fragment of a bowl in which the body has been marked with cords. Composition. The clay used in the pottery from this mound is generally fine in texture and of a light gray color. Many of the fragments have been blackened by burning subsequently to their original firing, and some may have been originally blackened with graphite. The prevailing colors seen in the fragments are yellowish and reddish grays. The percentage of powdered shell used in tempering has usually been very large, forming at times at least half the mass. The flakes of shell are very coarse, being often as much as one-fourth of an inch in diameter. In many cases they have been destroyed by burning, or have dropped out from decay, leaving a deeply pitted surface. Pipes. There are a number of pipes in the collection, most of which were found near the surface of the mound. In some cases they resemble modern forms very closely. The most striking example is made of a fine-grained clay, without visible admixture of tempering material. The color is a reddish-gray. It is neatly and symmetrically formed, the surface being finished by polishing with a smooth, hard implement and shaving with a knife. The bowl is two inches high and the rim is bell-shaped above with a smooth, flat lip one-fourth of an inch wide. The diameter of the opening is nearly two inches. The base is conical. The stem part is one-half an inch long and one-half an inch in diameter. The bowl and stem are both conically excavated. Another specimen is made of clay mixed with powdered shell. The bowl is cylindrical, being a little larger at the rim, which is ornamented with rows of punctures. The bowl is ornamented by a rosette of indented lines. The mouthpiece has been broken away. Objects of Metal 62797. One of the most instructive finds in this mound is a pair of brass pins of undoubted European manufacture. The collector makes the statement, with entire confidence in its correctness, that they had been encased in the earth at the time of the interment of the bodies. One was associated with the upper and the other with the lower layer of bones. In size and shape they resemble our ordinary brass toilet pin. The head is formed of a spiral coil of wire, the diameter of which is about one-half that of the shaft of the pin. It was also stated by the collector that an iron bolt was found in the lower stratum of bones. This object was unfortunately lost. 62795, a small brass cylinder found 3 feet 7 inches below the surface of the mound. The thin sheet of which the coil is made is about 1 inch square. The edges are uneven. It was probably used as a bead. Objects of Shell Few mounds have rivaled this in its wealth of shell ornaments. Engraved gorgets cut from the body of the Bizicon perversum and large pins from the columellae of the same shell are especially numerous and well-preserved. Large numbers of beads and unworked shells were also found. 
all were intimately associated with the skeletons. While many of the specimens are well preserved, we find that many are in an advanced state of decay, and unless most carefully handled, crumble to powder. Similar shell ornaments are found in mounds in other parts of Tennessee, as well as in neighboring states. These have been pretty fully described in the second annual report. 62830 through 62839. These pins are all made from the Bizicon perversum. The entire specimens range from three to six inches in length. Two are fragmentary, having lost their points by decay. The heads are from one-half to one inch in length and are generally less than one inch in diameter. They are somewhat varied in shape, some being cylindrical, others being conical above. The shaft is pretty evenly rounded, but is seldom symmetrical or straight. It is rarely above one-half an inch in diameter and tapers gradually to a more or less rounded point. The groove of the canal shows distinctly in all the heads and may often be traced far down the shaft. In a number of cases, the surface retains the fine polish of the newly finished object, but it is usually somewhat weathered and frequently discolored or chalky. These specimens were found in the mounds along with deposits of human remains and generally in close proximity to the head. This fact suggests their use as ornaments for the hair. 62840 through 62843. A number of saucer-shaped shell gorgets, the upper edge being somewhat straightened, the result of the natural limit of the body of the shell. Two small holes for suspension occur near the upper margin. The diameter ranges from three to six inches. In studying the design, the attention is first attracted by an eye-like figure near the left border. This is formed of a series of concentric circles and is partially enclosed by a looped band about one-eighth of an inch in width, which opens downward to the left. This band is occupied by a series of conical dots or depressions, the number of which varies in the different specimens. The part of the figure enclosed by this band represents the head and neck of the serpent. To the right of the eye we have the mouth, which is usually shown in profile, the upper jaw being turned upward, exhibiting a double row of notches or teeth. The body encircles the head in a single coil, which appears from beneath the neck on the right, passes around the front of the head, and terminates at the back in a pointed tail, armed with well-defined rattles. The spots and scales of the serpent are represented in a highly conventionalized manner. 62841 through 62845. The handsome specimen given in figure 124 is in a very good state of preservation. It is a deep, somewhat oval plate made from a bizicon perversum. The surface is nicely polished and the margins neatly beveled. The marginal zone is less than half an inch wide and contains at the upper edge two perforations which have been considerably abraded by the cord of suspension. Four long curved slits or perforations almost sever the central design from the rim. The four narrow segments that remain are each ornamented with a single conical pit. The serpent is very neatly engraved and belongs to the chevroned variety. The eye is large and the neck is ornamented with a single rectangular intaglio figure. The mouth is more than usually well defined. The upper jaw is turned abruptly backward and is ornamented with lines peculiar to this variety of the designs. The body of the serpent opposite the perforations for suspension is interrupted by a rather mysterious crossband consisting of one broad and two narrow lines. As this is a feature common to many specimens, it probably had some important office or significance. 
62847 through 62848, mask-like shell ornaments. By combination of engraving and sculpture, a rude resemblance to the human features is produced. The objects are generally made from large pear-shaped sections of the lower whorl of marine univalves. The lower portion, which represents the neck and chin, is cut from the somewhat constricted part near the base of the shell, while the broad outline of the head reaches the first suture at the noted shoulder of the body whorl. The simplest form is shown in figure 125. A more elaborate form is given in figure 126. These objects are especially numerous in the mounds of Tennessee, but their range is quite wide, examples having been reported from Kentucky, Virginia, Illinois, Missouri, and Arkansas, and smaller ones of a somewhat different type from New York. In size they range from 2 to 10 inches in length, the width being considerably less. They are generally found associated with human remains in such a way as to suggest their use as ornaments for the head or neck. There are, however, no holes for suspension, except those made to represent the eyes, and these, so far as I observed, show no abrasion by a cord of suspension. Their shape suggests the idea that they may have been used as masks, after the manner of metal masks by some of the Oriental nations. 62846. Engraved Shell. Figure 127. This very interesting object has been fully described in the second annual report of the Bureau. The figure is so obscure that considerable study is necessary in making it out. 62930. Engraved shell, figure 128. This remarkable specimen has already been described in the second annual report of the Bureau. The engraved design is certainly of a very high order of merit and suggests the work of the ancient Mexicans. 62816 through 62822. 62824, 62826, 62828, 62829. Shell beads, discoidal and cylindrical in form, made chiefly from the columella and walls of marine univalves. 62825. Shell bead made by grinding off the apex of a large oliva biplicata. 62827. Beads made from marginella shells. 62825. 62827, 62850 through 62857, 62782. Species of shell found in the mound, some with the skeletons, others near the surface. The following genera and species are provisionally determined. Unio multiplicatus, Uhio ovatus, Unio crescidens, Unio victorum, Marginella, Oliva, Iospinosa, Trypanostoma anthonii. Ankylosa subglobosa, Bizicon perversum. 62823, a tooth-shaped freshwater pearl found with the skeletons. Animal substances. 62861, fragments of deer horn found near the surface of the mound. 62858, an implement of unusual form made from a flat piece of bone found with the skeletons in the mound. 62859, 62860. Bone implements, needles, and perforators, some of which are well preserved and retain the original polish, others are in a very advanced stage of decay. Three boxes of human bones, not numbered. From the fields at Sevierville. Articles of stone. 62770. A small grooved axe formed of a coarse textured stone resembling diorite. It is four and a half inches in length and two and a half inches in width. The head is rounded and the cutting edge much battered. 
The groove is wide and shallow and the bordering ridges prominent. The blade thins out quite abruptly. Presented by J. B. Emmert. 62772. A celt 6 3/4 inches long, 2 1/2 inches wide, and 1 inch thick. The material is a compact blue-gray banded slate. The sides are straight and a transverse section is somewhat rectangular. Both edges are sharpened and are very neatly beveled and polished. Presented by W. P. Mitchell. 62771. A small celt of compact greenish slate. One face is flat, the other convex. It is neatly made and perfectly preserved, the broader end being oblique and sharp. It is three and one-eighth inches in length. 62777. A rude, much-battered celt of coarse sandstone or diorite. It is four inches in length by two in width near the cutting edge. The top is somewhat conical. 62774. A large, unsymmetrical celt made of coarse yellowish sandstone. One side is much battered. The cutting edge is round and dull. It is nine inches in length by five in width near the broad end and is one and a half inches thick. 62785. A knife blade shaped object, apparently a fragment of a winged ceremonial stone. The whole surface is smooth and shows no evidence of use. It is made of fine grained gray slate. It is two inches in length by five eighths in width. 62775. A bell-shaped pestle made of yellowish-gray quartzite. The surface has been evenly roughened by picking, but has become slightly polished on parts most exposed when in use. The base part is subrectangular in section, and the bottom is slightly but evenly convex. The upper part, which has been shaped for convenient grasping by the hand, is evenly rounded at the top. Height, 4.5 inches. Width of base, 3.5 inches. 62766 a well-formed globe of gritty sandstone. The surface is roughened or granular. It is two and a half inches in diameter. 62789. Portion of an oblong hammer stone, four inches in length by three in diameter in the middle part. One end has been much reduced by use. It is made of some dark, much decomposed crystalline rock. 62768. A symmetrical sandstone ring, two inches in diameter and three-fourths of an inch in thickness. The perforation is about five-eighths of an inch in diameter. The surface is roughened by picking. 62767. A symmetrical, neatly finished disc of light gray quartzite. It is four and one-quarter inches in diameter and one and one-quarter inches in thickness at the circumference and less than one inch thick at the center. 62869. An hourglass-shaped tube made of gray hydromica schist, which resembles very compact steatite. It is five and a half inches long, two inches in diameter at the widest part and one and one quarter inches at the narrowest part. The most restricted part near the middle is girdled by a ring or ridge, on the circumference of which 70 or 80 shallow notches have been cut. The perforation is much enlarged at the ends, giving cup-like cavities. The walls are thin near the ends and quite thick near the middle, the passage being hardly more than one quarter of an inch in diameter. The markings on the inside indicate that the excavation has been made by a gouging process, rather than by the use of a rotary perforator. 62776. A boat-shaped ceremonial stone of banded slate, three inches long, one inch wide and one inch deep. From the side, the outline is triangular the two lines of the keel forming almost a right angle. From the top, the outline is a long pointed oval 
as seen in the illustration figure 131. The trough-shaped excavation is more rounded in outline and is three-fourths of an inch in depth. Perforations have been made near the ends of this trough. These seem to be somewhat abraded on the outside by a cord of suspension or attachment, which is passed between them along a groove in the apex or angle of the keel. 62868, an amulet or charm of dark greenish rock, probably a serpentine, carved to represent a bird's head. The more highly polished parts are quite dark, while freshly cut lines are whitish. The head is graphically represented, the bill, the eye and nostril being well shown. A stand-like base takes the place of the body of the bird. Around this, near the bottom, a groove has been cut for the purpose of attaching a string or securing a handle. In dressing the surface, some implement has been used that has left file-like scratches. Figure 132 represents this object, natural size. 62773, fragment of a stone disc or wheel that has lines cut upon it, resembling in arrangement the grooves of an ordinary millstone. Diameter 6 inches, thickness 2 inches. This is probably not an aboriginal work. 63186, a banner stone of unusual shape made of gray slate. The cut, figure 133, represents this object three-fourths natural size. The perforation is one-half an inch in diameter and is quite symmetrical. The entire surface is well polished. Articles of clay. A few specimens of potsherds were collected from the fields about Sevierville. Most of these are identical in every way with pottery of the mound, but three examples are of a totally different type. The material of these is a fine, sandy clay tempered with a large percentage of finely pulverized mica. The forms of the vessels cannot be made out. The outer surfaces were ornamented by a stamped pattern of small square or lozenge-shaped figures. A number of these together were apparently formed by a single stamp. Among the fragments we have half a dozen discs, from one to two inches in diameter, worked from ordinary potsherds. A small, rudely modeled figure of a bird was also found with these fragments. There were also masses of indurated clay, which seemed to have been used for chinking purposes. End of excerpt from portion of the collections made by the Bureau of Ethnology during the field season of 1881 by William H. Holmes. Recording by Colleen McMahon.